You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So if you're a parent, are you doing an April Fool's joke with your kids today? Or better stated, to your kids. Word of caution, 40-odd years ago, my mom told me Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street were under my bed on April 1st, and I was so jacked up. So when they weren't under the bed as promised... Oh, the cockeye hit the fan on Lantern Lane in Western Massachusetts. Tread carefully is my advice, although a good one is to go into work early and remove all the toilets from the bathroom, assuming you have a great tool set. If you do this at a police station, they'll have to have a press conference and admit they have nothing to go on. See what I did there? Huh? April Fool's nonsense pushed to the side. We've got the latest from Fort St. Lucie. And from back at City Field, where there is some new fun stuff afoot. The podcast begins now. <laughs> ha ha ha. Rick rolls. April Fool's. That's in the morning. That's in the morning. Oh, yeah. That's in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Live every week like it's Shark Week. Got to. That's what Tracy Jordan told Kenneth, season one of 30 Rock, and I've never forgotten that. Josh Lewin with you. We are going to hear from guest spring training instructor David Wright. No fooling. Remember him? We're going to hear what was what at City Field yesterday as the Mets unveiled what's new at the ballpark for 2022. We have an interesting on-the-scene reporter that you'll probably recognize. We'll get back to some of the best from Al Leiter from the other day. Yeah, but first, let's talk Mets April Fool's Day lore. The curious case of Sid Finch. How can we not do a little throwback? Or maybe this is a new story for some of you, and that's fine. But here's what happened. Early 1985, the managing editor of Sports Illustrated noticed that a cover date would be falling on April 1st, that spring. So he asked the renowned writer George Plimpton to come up with something. And working with Jay Horowitz, which was perfect... George Plimpton reported that Hayden said Hartha Finch, Sid for short, was a rookie pitcher with the Mets. He wore only one shoe. It was a heavy hiker's boot. And he had never played baseball before. But now, because he could throw 168 miles an hour with pinpoint accuracy, he was deciding between a career with the Mets or playing the French horn. And according to Plimpton, uh, Sid Finch grew up in an English orphanage, was adopted by an archaeologist who later died in a plane crash in Nepal. And after briefly attending Harvard, this guy, Sid Finch, went to Tibet to learn yogic mastery of mind and body, the source of all his pitching prowess. So the story comes out accompanied by uh, all these photographs of Finch, one with a young Lenny Dykstra, another one where he's talking to Mel Stottlemyre, the actual pitching coach. The Sports Illustrated photographer had recruited his friend, a guy by the name of Joe Burton, who was just a junior high art teacher from suburban Chicago, and that was the guy who portrayed Sid Finch. This could never happen today in the age of, well, cynicism and the Internet, but people bought this. Uh, there was a New York sports page editor complaining to Jay Horowitz, why did Sports Illustrated get this story and not us? People were calling Peter Ubroth, the commissioner, asking about Sid Finch, general managers of other teams. The St. Petersburg Times sent a reporter to find Finch. A radio talk show host claimed he actually saw Sid Finch pitch 
which is not easy to say. The Mets gave Finch a locker between George Foster and Daryl Strawberry. The major network sent reporters eventually for this. And in an April 2nd press conference, the junior high school art teacher had to announce his retirement. The real brilliance of all this, the subhead of the article started this way. He's a pitcher, part yogi and part recluse. Impressively liberated from our opulent lifestyle, Sid's deciding about yoga and his future in baseball. And if you take all that, the first letters of all those words I just said, they spell out, happy April Fool's Day, dash a fib. Just brilliant. And even with that awesome clue, and obviously the absurdity of some rando throwing 168 miles an hour, people believed Sid Finch actually existed. One side note that never gets discussed, April 1st, 1985, that was Daniel Murphy's birthday. The day that Sid Finch appeared for the first time, the guy who led the Mets to their only World Series of the last 22 years appeared for the first time as well. He was born that day. Murph's 2015 teammate, future Mets Hall of Famer David Wright, was in camp yesterday. Family man now says he just wants to be a dad these days. Will not be at old-timers day because he doesn't consider himself to be old, but... He does consider himself to still be a part of the family, which he totally is. And he was asked if this year's Mets team reminds him at all of the one he starred on 16 years ago. They're loaded with talent, that's for sure. Uh, I got a chance to be in one of the hitters meetings earlier today uh, with Xavi, who I've known for a while. And um, I'm just looking around that room. It's like all-star, all-star, you know, just around the room. And it's pretty wild. And, um, you know, they asked me to say something at the end. And I was just like, I wish I could be in this lineup. Because <laughs> they're going to they're gonna score some runs. And they got some guys that can grind out at bats. Uh, they got some guys, obviously, that can hit homers. So, uh, and I'd be surprised if they're not, you know, one of the top offensive teams in the league. We, you know, it's... The difference, we, we had that type of offense, but, you know, these guys, you know, we had good pitching. They have great pitching, um, you know, so, uh, but offensively, yeah, that's what, you know, we were kind of talking about in the hitters meeting a little bit today was, um, you know, that mindset of what makes a great offense, not necessarily the individuals in it. And, you know, it's an in, in a lot of ways, it's an individual game when you get up there, it's you versus the pitcher, but the mindset of, philosophical feeling of how you're going to go out there and wear down the opposing pitcher and, and that's what we really had in 06 and some of those really good offenses and it feels like that's what they're trying to work towards here is you know not necessarily sitting back and playing for a three-run homer you know it's going to come but um you know grinding out at bats getting on base trying to steal some bases i, I think that this is a more athletic lineup than you know we've probably had in the last couple of years and you know they're going to be able to put some pressure on the defense and score runs other than hitting home runs, which is obviously ideal. David Wright will have more to say later on, to be sure, but uh, just so great to know he's back around, even a little. Guest spot in spring training. Speaking of spring training, still a winning record for the Mets as of now, even though the Nationals somehow beat them yesterday. Francisco Lindor just had a monster month of March. And if you want some good Vegas odds on something, how about Lindor at 30-1 to to be your National League MVP. In a year when Acuna is set to miss at least a month, Tatis is going to miss at least two. The NL MVP race for now looks like Juan Soto and everyone else. And he's on a rebuilding Nationals team, which, by the way, lost 29-8 to before they did beat the Mets yesterday. Soto had a home run off Edwin Diaz late to tie it up. Now, the Mets did have eight hits in the game, two of them from Tomas Nito, but they did lose. 
Back in Flushing yesterday, where there was only a 20-degree difference in temperature, the Mets rolled out some of what's new at the ballpark for 22. Lots of new food, of course, from Momofuku, Jacob's Pickles. Pat LaFreda has a dry-aged Polar Burger 2.0 in honor of Pete Alonso. There's a cool new feature where you can literally use your own face as your ticket this season. Technology is insane. There's a new Mets memorabilia experience and uh, a new museum experience. And the guy who was there reporting back to us on all of it, how about our good friend Darren Meenan from the Seven Line Army? Not just from the Seven Line Army. He's the guy that pretty much invented the Seven Line Army. And I wanted to talk to Darren a bit about all that, but he was uh, on the scene as well. So here you go. Here's five good minutes with our buddy Darren Meenan. I can't believe it's coming up on 10 years since the very first Seven Line Army expedition, which was the R.A. Dickey 20th win game, I guess, I think it was the Pirates, right, uh, on a Thursday afternoon. And can you take me back, Darren? I mean, what did you think you had going uh, on that random September Thursday? To be honest, walking into the game, and number one, thanks for having me on, but uh, first off, going into that game, I thought this was, this was just a fun way to end the season, not thinking it was going to turn into this you know, massive group of fans that now travel coast to coast. So going into the game, I thought, hey, this is just a fun way to close out our season and hopefully Dickie wins his 20th, which he did. And then before the end of the game, I knew, Hey, you know, we're onto something here. Why don't we plan something for the entire next season in 2013? And that's what we did. And then we kind of hit the ground running. 120 more of them have followed. You guys have a winning record when you're on site. Does it ever get old when you watch back and see a visiting broadcast trying to figure out what you guys are. And I, I, I'm so alarmed that even now there are some out there that are like, what is this? There appears to be like some organization and they don't even know what it is. So is that kind of amusing to you that, I mean, there's 1500 people in the stands and it's like it caught everybody by surprise. Oh, I love it. I love it. Our first time in Atlanta in the old ballpark. Well, you know, there one previous to this one. I know they've had a few, but uh, Turner field, on the broadcast, they were so confused by us. They said, if you hear like an awful sound coming from left field, that's not your, uh, your, your speakers deceiving you. It is a large group of Mets fans that are here. And if you remember that one, we actually got in trouble for bringing our thunder sticks. I didn't know that was going to be an issue. Uh, so we handed out the thunder sticks and we quickly found out that that's a no, no in, uh, in Atlanta. So we had to stop using the thunder sticks. And I remember Ron Darling said something about it on S and Y about how they took our thunder sticks away. Cause then we started chanting, we don't need them. So it was great. It was a lot of fun. That's crazy in Atlanta. Like tomahawks are okay, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> right. what you guys had was not. So, Hey, right. real quick, what, what's the plan for this year? I mean, obviously we're reasonably back to normal. Now you guys during the pandemic could not have the community you wanted to have. It was kind of emblematic of how we all suffered during the pandemic, but what, what's it looking like for 22? Oh, we're, we're uh, full throttle back to back to whatever the new normal is for us. You know, we put up our outings and, and um, you know, city field, we, we do a bunch of games there. We have 10 planned for this year. Actually, is it 12, 10 or 12, but it worked out to where with the late start, um, you know, with the pushed back start, that first series that against the Braves got canceled. So now that May 3rd game that we already had circled that Tuesday is now a single admission doubleheader. So those tickets are up now on, 
the Mets site. They actually, uh, the home games are sold on Mets.com slash the Sunline Army, which is great for me because our site used to crash all the time. So <laughs> now that we've worked it out with the Mets, it's a lot easier to push the uh, home tickets. But so we're going to uh, Denver in May. We're going to Anaheim in June. Both of those have sold out. And then we are repeating Philly in August. And then we're checking off Oakland in September. So uh, for the National League, we've already we've already hit every ballpark in the National League. And uh, we're trying to finish off the American League ones next. And, um, you know, from then on, I guess we'll start doing repeats. But it's pretty cool that we've uh, brought together thousands of Mets fans from all walks of life from coast to coast and even Guam. I know a, a fan met us out, out in uh, Chicago years ago from Guam. And, um, yeah, we're just trying to bring people together and have fun and cheer on the team. And thankfully, things are looking bright around Queens these days. So we're actually going to be uh, cheering on, hopefully, a winning team all throughout the year and through the playoffs. Well, towards that end, you're my boots on the ground since you're actually in Queens and I'm not right now. So the Mets had the event to kind of explain what's new at the ballpark. What caught your eye? Oh, it was great to be back. I mean, this is the first time they've had this event since 2019 for obvious reasons. So it was great to be back there. My wife came with me today, so it was fun uh, checking the place out. It's funny. We actually got married at uh, City Field. So to be back there together, it's sometimes we forget that you look over to the uh, visiting dugout and we were standing on there to say our our vows. Hmm. But um, being in the ballpark was was great. Uh, as far as the renovations, the, uh, the thing that I, th- I thought was the greatest, if you're a, a memorabilia head out there and you like to collect... Uh, they, uh, if you remember back at the top of the, um, the escalator, when you first come up through the Jackie Robinson rotunda, if you bang a right, that's where the amazing memorabilia setup used to be. But it initially started with just like a folding table, I think, and like a basket of balls. And, um, since Alex and Steve Cohen got involved, Alex was really pushing for the, uh, memorabilia department to have something more of a permanent structure. So it's actually a a full-blown store. Now you walk in. And, um, you can, you can pick up a game used ball or, or a Jersey or so on and so forth. And I, I'm pretty sure all of the proceeds from the sales of, of products there go to the amazing, uh, Mets foundation that, uh, Alex Cohen has kind of, uh, brought back to life lately. So I thought that was really cool. Um, they made some additions to the Mets museum now that they have the, they have a new curator in there and, um, the woman, I, I forget her name, but she's been working really hard to uh, do like a 60 years, the first 60 years of, of, the, of the team and put together a whole new uh, exhibit in there about the first 60 years, which was cool. And um, as far as that's concerned, uh, you know, ballpark improvements, they, they also teamed up with Samsung. So I, there's, there's a, a television screen pretty much everywhere you look in the ballpark, which is pretty cool. And I think they have a lot of things planned as far as, uh, you know, like light shows and different things that might be happening throughout the game. It's all, I think 4k. So it's pretty cool. Um, what else did they have? Uh, um, they had some good food. I know that oh, a bunch yeah. of good food. You know, I, I'm actually on a, I'm pretty much plant-based. So, uh, I go into these things and I see all the options and I don't really partake in any of it, but it looked like, uh, it looked like a great, a uh, great time for all the people that were there that, you know, dabble in all the meats and cheeses, but I stay away from it these days, but, uh, they do on game day though. They do have a lot of options for people who are vegetarian or vegan in the ballpark. So, you know, there's no shortage of that on game day, but today it was all about the foodies. They, they rolled out the red carpet. If you, if you're into that sort of thing and you go to this event, you definitely do not walk out hungry. That's for sure. Uh, seven line army rocks so hard. Love those guys. Wish they would have been around when Al Leiter was pitching. He seems like he could have been the general of that army. 
We played you some of Al holding court the other day, but wanted to bring him back this morning. Thought you'd enjoy hearing him talk about his memories of Tom Seaver, since we're now just a couple weeks away from the statue being unveiled. And Al Leiter having known Tom Seaver more as a broadcaster than as a Hall of Fame pitcher. Here you go. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And this is the minor part. Bobby, it became like my thing. When Bobby was here, I'd go into the office and he'd give me the lineup card for the tonight's game. And then I would look at it and do my crazy stuff. And then I'd put it in my pocket. And if Seaver was doing the game... Seaver, this became a little thing with Tom and I, and he would walk by, and Tom and, the, and at Shea, he would come in and he'd pull, my, he'd pull the lineup card out. And Seaver would do this to me, because I, I questioned him, and you don't question Tom. He would look at it, he goes, fifth inning on, I wouldn't let him beat me. Seventh inning on, I wouldn't let him or him beat me. Like, let's say it was the Braves. Like, he'd like, all right, Chipper's not going to beat me tonight. And seventh inning on, Chipper and Javi Lopez. Whatever, I'm picking up names. And I, when Sirius said, I'm like, come on, Tom, terrific, get out of here. You didn't do that. He goes, no, <laughs> yes, I did. And I started thinking, I'm like, if this was good enough for Tom Seaver, like, what kind of jerk am I? In a, in a six-inning, 2-2 game in Atlanta, pitch around a guy. Pitch, you know, be smart, you know. Uh, you might swing at some, you know, you might get a free out. But, you know, the impression of Tom Seaver, who was God to me, um, for him to say that, that was a little nuance. I'm like, all right, yeah, that makes sense to me. But then you gotta have a manager know that you're pitching around guys. Because then, you know, now pitch count and, you know, and Bobby Valentine knew. He knew my crazy stuff. Like, Bobby, I pitched around because that dude can't hit me. So it's that Tom walk Seaver was on purpose. Yeah, because Tom Seaver did. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Oh my God, I love Tom. You think your son's got a shot at a Seaver-esque career? Boy, <laughs> that's too lofty, but uh, he's pretty good. Yeah. But, you know, everybody says, is he, gonna be, is he better than you? I'm like, yeah, he's better, but he's got his work cut out the past year old dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, like his, like, yeah, he's, he's got some ideas. But he's still got to do it. He can stay healthy. You know, he got to do all. Like I was telling you with his, his first outing, I was out there, I guess, last week or whatever. He pitched in the first big league game that they had. He played against Kansas City. Strikes out the side in the first inning. He was going to go two innings. Strikes out the first batter in the second inning. Pop-up. Two outs. Base hit, home run, walk, walk. And they take him out. He, had, <laughs> he was one pitch away from, like, I was like, see, Jack? I was like, that best. <laughs> What's the line of demarcation, Al? Because all of us, like, that have kids, I mean, just little league kids, we don't want to over manage them we want to let the manager manage them and all of that but you're Al Leiter you've got skin on the walls I mean you've done some things and this guy's your son so how do you reach that line of okay I want to help him but I know I'm not supposed to say too much I stay away and let so the only time ever uh in travel ball for my son high school Vanderbilt and even now because CY is over there I really like uh you know you know CY Chris Chris Young did do GM he's a gentleman I stay away. But if you want 
you know, I love this stuff, right? Like, we're talking ball. Like, hey, what do you think? Hey, how do you hold that? Oh, what do you think? You know, like, just... Um, but what I, what I always used to do, you know, watch, and I said, Jack, whoever it is, it could be the... Whoever the coach is, it's, let him do his thing. And then circle back the right time in the backyard, whatever. And you could always have a chance to work on stuff that, you know, that... You, you know, that I, whatever, see. Like, I, Jack always got his work elsewhere. You know, he was working. Right, right. Yeah, but I'd let him, let him do their thing, yeah. Is that tough? I mean, because is there a party that's like, ah, oh, I wish I could get out no, there? No, no, because there's a time when, I mean, now it's too late. Like, you go out and play. Like, it's too late. Like, go do your thing. But then you're going to have time to, like, hey, you know, in that situation, third inning, that, you know, Josh was late on those two fast ones. Then he threw him a little wrinkle and he pulled it down the line. Why, why'd you throw that? Like, and it's just, it's engaging, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, it's not contrary because I know how hard it is. Right. Even with Jack, his freshman year, he called me and he said he was wild and he was all upset and whatever. This, it was fall ball at Vanderbilt. So I pulled up uh, my, when I was 19, I was in Fort Lauderdale with the Yankees. I had like 108 innings and I walked 100 guys. I sent him more box scores of like three and a third, five, five, yeah. I said, oh, you think that was bad? Here, how about this one? Three and a third, I had five walks. <laughs> you know, to disarm him, like, man, this is not easy. This is some harsh shit. Um, He's never going to throw 145 pitches in a game like he used to, though. 162, Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> I told that to somebody. Sure. I told that to one of the pitchers here yesterday and they're like, no way. I'm like, yeah, I'm embarrassed to say it, but like, I, yeah, I did. Um, well, Bobby V to this day, I'm still so grateful that he kept me in the ninth inning of that in game five. I am. I think I struck out the side in the eighth. And one or two in the seventh. Like, I, I was like that big, slow, heavy truck that was rolling down the hill. If you didn't get me in the first couple, I was pretty good later in the game. So true. Game five was such a heartbreak. But then again, so was game one. 2000 World Series we're talking about, if you're too young to remember. Game one was lighter against Andy Pettit. Great matchup. Neither team even threatened until the sixth inning. That's when Timo Perez was in scoring position. Todd Zeal hit the deep fly ball. Perez misjudged the ball, thought it would clear the fence, it hit the top of the wall, bounced back, yada, yada, yada. Um, It was a great relay to cut him down. Mets end up losing that game after, well, they had gone ahead. The Yankees tied it in the ninth, won it in the twelfth. Freaking Jose Vizcaino. Game five was, of course, heartbreak as well. The series kind of ended in the top of the ninth. Leiter had a pitch count that was approaching 140. Bobby Valentine insisted he would live or die with his lefty. And Al Leiter did strike out Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill, but he walked Jorge Posada, then a single by Scott Brocious. Luis Soho singled to center. The uh, throw from Jay Payton hit Posada as he was sliding towards the plate. Bottom of the ninth, down 4-2. to two. Mike Piazza hits the fly ball off Rivera with two outs and a runner at third. A lot of people thought it was a home run off the bat. It was not. Yankees win. The Yankees win. Later, or uh, Lighter facing 36 batters in that game. Went four times through the order. Something you would never see happen today. Well, I'm over it. I'm over the year 2000. I am easy like Sunday morning. Anyway, hope you have a nice Friday. And your weekend. I hope your weekend is great. By the time we're talking again next week, we will be four days from opening freaking day. No April fooling. Let us meet that Mets in the Morning house band before we shove off. On keyboards, Dilson Herrera. Slapping to bass, 
Jason Isringhausen. The horn section, anchored by Andres Torres. And our drummer, Tommy Herr. This is Josh Lewin. I just checked under my bed. Ernie's not there. Bert's not there. Life's brutal sometimes, isn't it? Talk to you soon. Let's go Mets. See ya.